All right, Inappropriate Earl, back. Back in the house with a very special guest. I've known this man for decades, and he was also recently a judge on my most recent roast battle. A very close-fought victory over the legend of Benji Aflalo, the great Benji Aflalo. This man, along with Al Madrigal and the Southern Belle Theo Vaughn, judged an overtime victory by Daddy. He's a great comic, a great friend, and a prolific writer. You may have seen him on Rush Hour recently on CBS. Give it up for the one, the only, the legendary Kirk Fox. Wow, that was uh, that was exciting. The the TV's still on, so that'll be off. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna. I only got two arms, baby. I know, but shouldn't the TV have been off before you even began? Well, there was breaking news that uh, Carrie Fisher, Princess Leah, had a heart attack on an airplane. Okay. Uh, where Do we know where she was going? She was London to, uh, I guess, L.A. So she, I think the plane is still in the air. So is she dead? Uh, nobody knows yet. So, oh, really? Uh, it's, that was so the, that's the breaking news? The breaking news, uh, Friday, uh, December uh, 23rd, uh, Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia, for you Star Wars, uh, for you Rogue One fans, go see it. How, how did the news get to you? I've got sources. Someone up on the plane? No, TMZ, Harvey Levin. I like it. Harvey Heard. Um, this is exciting. I, I have to tell you, uh, I'm still taking in the room. You're, uh, you're very organized. Everything seems to be in its place. Even next to you, I, I don't know if I can even paint this picture, but uh, yeah, that's me. But you have all your gadgets next to you you have a square little uh bread bread cutter i mean it's 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 awesome well but this opens up and you know you can put your little you know condoms or it's like a dash it's like a a truck in between uh the seats on a truck did you add that or did it come with the couch this is the greatest couch i've uh ever had in my life got it at levitt's uh, in northridge uh, 15 years ago and uh have you been in this place for 15 years yeah i bought this condo uh right after 9 11 thought it'd be a good time to buy you know low rise uh, did you get it low i did was it low after 9 11 yeah uh two gay drug dealers uh, are they still here they're upstairs right now nice that's what i like to hear that was good comedy for those of you listening the timing was uh impeccable Oh, as it always is with you. I mean, not always. There, there's times where there is absolutely no timing. And what do you do? Like, I had a set last night at the comedy store. The crowd was uh, catatonic. Uh, maybe they were. They seemed like they were just drunk. And all right, we're here for the holidays. Yeah, but that has nothing to do with your with you or your timing. But uh, what do you do? Like when you're like, it's like a quarterback who's just, you know, being blitzed, no matter what he's doing, it's not happening. How do you, it doesn't up? matter. As long as I'm at peace and as long as I'm connecting the jokes, if they're not laughing, I'm, I'm okay with it. But if I know that I'm off and uh, the biorhythms aren't clicking, then I take it, personal i try and find out why i was off and how do you do that though like would you say what is it you know i check my diet was there too much sugar why why am i you know was the ocd kicking did i wash my hands too many times in the bathroom you just start thinking about a lot of things and it usually comes down to not being prepared 
not getting those deep breaths before you take the stage. I like to have a set list. I like to have... Do you really? I like to know where I'm headed. I don't want a bunch of scraps in my pocket. There's a method to it. And if you have a, if you know the jokes you'd like to get to, then it's easy to dance in between them. I get it. Because you had one of the uh, great uh, examples of what I call staying in the pocket when you were opening up for Charlie Sheen. And that crowd was, was bloodthirsty. They didn't want to see anyone but Charlie Sheen. And you stayed through it. And at the end, they loved you. I don't know if they ever truly loved me. Well, but, they, but I, I did. I did unite them. I re, I remember that night. It was uh, it was tricky because they wanted Charlie immediately, and when they didn't get him, they were a little upset. But yeah. I did my twenty minutes. This was in Detroit, Michigan, a where, bloodthirsty town. They were just they were hungry for Charlie. They wanted the guy that they had seen for the last few weeks who was uh, after Tiger Blood. Yeah, this is in the middle of the winning and the, the twins and the triplets. and. But they that room didn't want me. And I also didn't have a good flow at the beginning. The booing can, can alter someone's approach. Now, do you... But it's... Do you think, though, in your head, they're not booing me necessarily. They, they, they would boo anybody. Well, that's, that's, that's what got me through it. I was supposed to be introduced from off stage, and I think the guy the guy actually went out on stage and just said, "Are you guys ready for, for Charlie Sheen? Are you ready to rock?" And they were jacked up. They were on their feet. And then you come. And then he said, "But first, Kirk Fox." And then the booing was pretty immediate. But uh, I stayed in it. At about 10 minutes in, Charlie came out and tried to calm them, which was which backfired as well. Because then they get excited. Oh, he is there. Because then they see Charlie. And, and, uh, but at one point, there was 3,000 booing, and I wanted the other two. And I asked, let's all, let's all boom. And then we had 5,000 booing f- for 20 minutes. Right. That's exciting. The joke was that everyone said, I heard you got booed off the stage with Charlie Sheen. I said, no, off the stage, everyone was very kind. On stage, they were booing. I didn't get booed off stage. I mean, you know, I know how it is. Like when I go see Kiss, I'm there to see Kiss. I don't care who the opening band is. It could be Led Zeppelin. I'm there to see Kiss. So but, I get the but, but do you give do you give a do you at least listen to that opening band? I do. Yeah, I mean you got to just be in the moment and take uh, take whatever you're looking at. But so now someone's out there giving it a shot. Oh yeah, I respect being an artist mm-hmm. myself. I, I respect uh, you know when I was opening up for Rob Schneider, I knew no one was there to see me. Was that fun? You know, uh, Rob's awesome. Uh, he uh, kept me in the game at a time when I probably thought of quitting you know just because it was like you know nine years in at that point did they laugh enough they laughed enough i would say most nights i got the job done good uh, you know i thought it's my job just to warm him up so rob can hit the stage nice i'm still taking in this room uh hockey seems to be a big 
part of your life. A lot of hockey. Are these all trophies? These are all trophies for being a leading scorer. Uh, there's a couple. Of, you but know. are these in your own fantasy league or they all look like the exact same trophy? Well, it's a low budget league, but I do have three uh, fantasy football league trophies. This is a, you got a real world going on here. I won my league three years in a row by being a very ballsy general manager. Sports seems to be Earl's life. This is a side of you I, I imagined, and uh, it's pretty similar to what I thought it would be. Well, hockey to me is like t- tennis is for you. No, not at all. Okay. Because you're surrounded by hockey. I don't have any tennis trophies visible. I don't talk about it that much, but it's certainly a part of my life. Well, I've run out of room, so unfortunately the trophies are only uh, here because that there's nowhere else to put them. What I like is you're very similar to me. You're, you're a grown-up, but this room still looks like you're 14 years old. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I have a uh, Vince Neal poster right there. I mean, uh, the, the, the people get it. I'm sure I'm not mentioning anything that hasn't been alluded to on every podcast. But I often say that uh, I had a great childhood because I'm still living it. And yeah. I, I think that applies here as well. I am a big kid. Uh, and I think that, would you agree, that helps navigate the murky waters of comedy in LA. I think it's important to embrace the silly. I think when you get up there on stage, you, you still have to, uh, you got to be a kid at heart. We're up there trying to make the room laugh. But at, the, just, at the end of the day, they just, they just want to have fun. I don't think they want to be yelled at. They're yelled at all day long. Right. So I, I always try and be goofy on stage so people can forget about their problems. Yeah. I wouldn't say I don't want to be goofy. I just want to be able to embrace some silly. Right. My whole life I've been trying to avoid the goof. It's always been a battle. See, I try and embrace the goof. I That's that's fine. But that's why you're more successful than me. I don't know. Am, am I that? What's successful? Successful is just how you get through the day. Are you talking career-wise? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I never think that way. I just think about what what gets me through the day. How, what does how, get you through the day? Finding a way to take deep breaths and help people be compassionate, be genuine. As, as long as I'm, as long as I'm uh, being true to that and all the other shit. It never matters. I never think about it. Well, uh, how have you lasted this long in L.A. comedy? I find L.A. comedy to be full of so many two-faced, palming bastards. Because uh, I don't want anything from it. I don't need anything from it. Want nothing, need nothing. I just, I just enjoy, uh, in the, I enjoy those moments on stage. It's fun to try and unite the room, love the room. And uh, you see people laugh. If you can leave the room a little better than when you entered, then that's okay. Do you care who you follow? No. I mean, it, not necessarily uh, an individual, but do you like uh, following someone who's a little dry? Or, uh, you know, do you care if the person's like... I never oh. think about it. You just do your thing. When, when, when I take the stage, it's now my time. I'm just trying to handle you actually 
Now, are you answering questions to people? No, no, I'm just trying to promote. I'm saying, look who's on my couch. But, but, but. Send out a is tweet. Is it live? Is this No, li- no, this is not live. This will be out Monday, December 26th. But you're texting now? No, I'm tweeting to say, hey, look what's coming. Yeah, but can't you do that after? No, it's better live in the moment. Really? I think it is. But you don't think it's live? They can't hear it right now. Right, but then they see the tweet and go, oh my God, Kirk Fox is on Earl's podcast. Yeah, but they'll, but they'll deal with that after. Listen, it's how I do it, baby. Really? Yeah. So you're texting while we're talking. No, no, I'm tweeting, and now I'm yeah, done. Yeah, but, but you got to be done. But I have ADD, so I have to do it now. That's just how I do it for every podcast. All right, so now you're done? Now I'm done. Okay. Because during those, during those minutes, I lost interest in being here. Well, I don't want that to happen. I know. I'm just saying it's. It, I'm, glad, have, I'm glad that you're back. But you have to understand what I'm doing. I'm trying to drum up interest for you. But I, I'm letting you know as a friend that the interest, whenever it's done, as long as it's closer to the actual broadcast, is better. Well, but see, Like I'm, you could have waited an hour to do that. But I have ADD. I know. I, I'm I, telling I, you. I know. I like it. Like when I uh, have it in my head to do something, I have to do it then. I'm glad. You know, like when I, after you leave, I have it in my head to work out. So, you know, I'm going to work out. Hey, I'm with you. I I have it as well. I wish I didn't have it. It's very, uh, can ruin your day if you have something on your mind. So, but that ADD, what what you had right there is OCD. You had to do that. Yes. ADD would have meant that you didn't have to do, you just forgot what you were doing. Well, I am scrambled at times. I'm trying to figure it out, man. Yeah, we all are. Well, you're doing a better job of it than I am. I don't know about that. I mean... You, you know. have a podcast. Your uh, your room looks uh, organized. Well, you roast. have your parking. You, you, you work out. You're getting on stage. Roast battle. Yeah. What, what, what would lead you to believe that you're not on top of your game? Well, I'm getting there. It's better than it's ever been. Yeah, all that matters is this moment. Everything has led up to this moment on the couch. You can't worry about what's next. All you have to do is be living in this moment. Well, I am living a better life because I've eliminated energy drinks. Good. Which has helped. I agree with that, man. Anything that jacks you up like that. I've started juicing. And I feel feel better about that. I used to have a an OJ cranberry when I went on stage, just to have any booze in it. Not never, and now I'm I've I'm trying beet juice, and I feel good about it. Less processed sugar. Well, sugar's the devil. No shit, man. But I see my problem with juicing is I've got to enjoy the taste a little bit, or I can't get it down. This beet juice is strong. It's got a little ginger in it. I'm a pressed juice guy. My girl picks up juices every day. I've, I had a green juice this morning. She takes care of me. Well, you look great, man. I mean, I feel good. I, I do look good. Like like we said, uh, it's about the creams. I'm an Erno Laszlo man. I am uh, more of a La Mer and La Prairie. Nice. I like it. You know, I, it's high end. It's not cheap. It's not something you pick up at CVS. Uh, my shit's expensive also. There's some uh, There's some new things. I don't even know what it is, but it's steep. Comes, well, I mean. Comes to the house. It helps uh, 
you know, like when I, I roast battle, I know my age is my number one target. So I figure if I look better than whoever is saying that, I could say, well, I might be You're a good looking man. You got good skin. Thanks to my mom. I, I don't, uh, I used to hit tanning beds. Man, you've done it all. I try, I avoid all that. I always wear a hat. Most of my life was playing tennis. I didn't use enough sunscreen, but now I'm I'm protecting it. Well, you have to. I mean, I've had uh, skin cancer, so I'm now I'm like. Uh, now, do you really think you had skin cancer, or did someone tell you? Oh, I had them removed. I had uh, two, uh, I guess, uh, spots on my forehead that. Do you uh, think it needed to be removed? Absolutely. A lot of times, they just take some shit because it's uh, they can charge you. Oh, I'm sure that I, I feel the same way. Uh, about that, like dentist, dentist or maniacs. Yeah, they'll take it out. You need fillings, Mr. Skakel. I'm like, I don't need fillings. I just got these. Yeah, know? I do a whole joke about that. I'm sure everyone does. That we're hostages. At the dentist? Yeah. So I'm not the only one. So when you go get your teeth cleaned? No, we, I, we're, we're hostages. We're at the mercy of the dentist. We open our mouth. It's the same as when a mechanic looks in, uh, you pop your hood, something is coming out. Same with your teeth. You open your mouth, they'll find something wrong. Because I don't uh, know anything about uh, teeth. So if they say you need uh, a crown put in. Hostage, oh. man. That We're all hostages. We're, throughout the day or throughout the week, we're all we're hostages. Would you say we're hostages in comedy too? Because so much is out of our control. Uh, no, I think, uh, I think on stage you're in control. You have the mic, you can take them where you want. You can deal with how they're behaving. I mean, I, I think, uh, as long as you surrender to that moment, I think you're okay. But like you had your talk show. I did have a talk show. And you know, you're the star of it. I mean, you're the guy. I mean, so they said. I, I I certainly didn't feel like it. But that's what I'm talking about. Now, uh, what was the name of the talk show? It was called The Test. And uh, you're the guy. But uh, how many outside people were telling you, uh, Kirk, this is how it would be funnier. And it's like, you're one of the funniest dudes I know. Like, how does anyone tell you? Well, that was, that was the problem with the show is uh, it was a serious show. And that's not the lane I wanted to dance in. Right. You know, I I like to be funny and free. And, uh, you know, there was a there was someone in my ear. There was a teleprompter I had to read. I mean, I was I was playing the game as a talk show host, but it wasn't comfy. I was never comfortable. And if you gave them any feedback, you know, I mean, I've been on shows, you know, uh, you just try you just try and pick pick your points. Right. I mean, I had two people, I was surrounded by a couple and they were fighting for their lives. So, it was real shit. Nothing was staged. So, if a marriage was crumbling, I was there trying to save it or trying to let one of them know who was cheating or not. It was all lie detector, DNA, drug test. Well, I could have used you recently, but yeah, but we did 140 episodes, and I was happy to get through it. There was rough days. It's it, it's hard. I had to shave my mustache. 
I mean, once you lose your stash, you lose your power. But like even stuff like that, a network executive said, hey, can you can you lose the mustache? Yeah, Dr. Phil thought it would be best to to clean it up. But like what like in my head, it's like, how about let's just make the show as good as. Hey, man, I, I, I was along for the ride there. I would have been happier in my leather jacket. Right. I think the show. I think it would have been better if I if I had found a way to be a little more relaxed. Just you. Just me, but but then again, I didn't fight for it. Were you in a position to? Well, you're always in a position to fight for what you believe in. You always have that moment where you can stand up. But the money was very appealing. And I didn't know the world I was in. So I put on the suit and I tried to hit my mark and I, I tried to treat every guest with respect. I tried to nudge them in the right direction. I mean, this was a guy given relationship advice who had never really been in a relationship. I'd always been a bit of a... The playboy. A playboy. So every now and then I have to check to make sure the recorder is going... That's all right. I understand that. 156 episodes, and uh, just once did the recorder go out, but I'm paranoid. Good for you. You should be. It's a tough business, a podcast game. Hey, man, I've thought about it. I've I thought about it, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't commit to it. It is a commitment. But what I love about it, it kind of goes into what we were just talking about, is I'm the boss. Like I only deal with people I like. I haven't had one person on this couch who I didn't want to interview, and I love that. Yeah, and most of the people on this couch were clean, hygiene. Oh, it's been a who's who. I mean, you probably know most of them. I bet I do. Um, you know, Tommy Morris, uh, the great, uh, the is legend. This, is this where Tommy sat? Tommy sat there twice for about five hours. <laughs> that's that's too long, man. Well, I, I listen to those. I, I like uh, I like Tommy. You know, we had a... Uh, Tommy was always in my corner. Which I love. I mean, I don't hate on... Uh, Tommy was there the first night that I went on stage, November 10th, 2002, on a Sunday. That was my first time on stage at the Comedy Store. I went in there. Polly, you know, told me to go see Tommy. And they uh, they slid me in up there. Three minutes. It was awful. I did not get a laugh till the last 10 seconds, and then I understood it. But how do you, like, I'm always blown away about showcases like that. How can you uh, convey you yourself as a comic in three minutes? Well, you decide what you want to do for those three minutes. Three minutes is a long time. If It can be. <laughs> but it's also enough time. You You can show off who you are in 10 seconds. As long as you take a deep breath, this is who I am. Here, here come my jokes. If you get to one joke, that's who you are. You, I think you can convey yourself in no seconds just by being present. Right. By being vulnerable, inviting. That's it. Present. That's that's all, you know, that's all we're trying to do. 
But for those for those three minutes, I wasn't until the last ten seconds. Were you nervous? I was not nervous, but do you think that was the problem? No, the problem was is I was being a character. I was I did a joke. I my whole thing was I about being Jesus's brother. So I went up there and I because they had just found his casket. Jesus's brother. So Jesus had a brother. James was his name. And I just thought what it would be like to be Jesus's brother, you know. Jesus gets all the attention, all that shit. But when I went up on stage, I did it as if I had been resurrected. Right. I didn't say I'm Kirk Fox telling a joke about Jesus's brother. I said, I'm James, man. You know, it was insane. No laughter until the end. I was like, you know, this was actually funny in front of the mirror this morning. And the whole room laughed. And that was the only honest moment on stage. For three minutes, they just stared at me. I got nothing. But then when I said that, I understood comedy. And then I kept coming back. What was Tommy's feedback? That first time? Do you remember? No. I don't remember. Well. No, I, I don't even know if we even talked about it, but I'm sure he could let me know now. The guy remembers everything. Well, he's in Buffalo, so we're going to have to... So. Is he up in Buffalo? Yeah, he's left the cozy confines of the valley for Buffalo. Nice. He I, sent he sent me a, a holiday greeting the other day. I sent him one right back. Yeah, I mean, you know, I ended up actually kind of liking him after the two podcasts. He was a very device. did you not did you not like him before? Well, I, I felt the way he treated me was unnecessary. So uh, I prefer Adam. Uh, Maybe it was necessary. I don't think it was. I believe in, uh, you know, uh, just uh, straightforward. Like Adam, the talent coordinator uh -huh. now. Yes. And uh, is very uh, honest. He's like, uh, hey, man, I, I, the lineups are stacked. I, I'll, tr I'll try and get you in once a week if I can. There'll be some weeks where I can't. Yeah, it's a tricky time, man. But that, I prefer The comedy that. store's stacked out. I'm I'm happy for any stage time. Oh, I, so am I. I mean, uh, I remember uh, two years ago, the night I got passed, I said, hey, I'll be happy with one spot a week. And the great Tony Hinchcliffe said, oh, that'll change in about a month. You know, you'll you want more. Yeah. And although he was right, you always want more. I'll never turn down a spot. I am happy with what I get up there. Yeah, it's good. I like, I, I like seeing you up there. Well, it's it's uh, it's you, scary. You get, you get better each time. Well, you have to. I mean, you're... You slow it down. The, I think the important part of that is just finding your own pacing. Well, oh, absolutely. But, you know, the lineups are so stacked. You know, it's, it's you, it's Rogan, it's uh, Dalia, Bill Burr. They're monsters, man. I mean, even toward the end of the lineup, at the end of the night, it's you're following someone funny, you know. It, it used to be a, a room where you could really go up there and fail you can you could really just keep trying new things but now you have to find a way to to slide those in amongst the gold you can't go up there and tank 
Because, the, you know, they're seeing the best of the best. Exactly. Like, you know, tonight you're on the show. Uh, Jezelnik, uh, Rogan, uh, Diaz, I mean, uh, Dalia, Theo. You got you to gotta really. <laughs> That's crazy. You got to hit your mark, man. Then, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's an honor. for. The if state. you miss, you know it. Yeah, it's like being on the 27 Yankees. It's like that was a know, good that was a good team. It's a great team or the, the my you know I'm a I'm a hockey guy so I'll say the uh 80s uh, Edmonton Oilers. There you go. You the know. San Diego Goals, remember them? I had a friend of mine who played on them. Remember Willie O'Ree, the first black man to play hockey was on the Goals. He was and uh what a uh time it was must have been for him like I used to collect pucks, man. I used to go down there and watch those hockey games. I got a letter from from uh, Bob Breitbarb, who was the president of the Gulls, because I was such a big fan Right when I was 13 or 14. A lot of roller hockey. I never got out there and played ice hockey, but, man, we had some big roller hockey games up, oh, at, yeah. up at Kate Sessions Elementary School. I was good, man. Shit. I hadn't thought about hockey Till just now. Well, that's I bring it out of people. I can't only imagine what Willie O'Ree went through to be a black uh, hockey player in the like you talk about. It's probably the equivalent of being a black tennis. I wonder player. where Willie O'Ree is right now. He does a lot of work with the NHL. Does he? Uh, you know, trying to uh, get minorities into the game. Does very, he? Do you know who Willie O'Ree is? Oh, absolutely. Awesome. He's uh, and if you see that book right there, uh, I have a book on my uh, table called Black Eyes. There Which it is, is Black uh, Ice. And is Willie O'Ree in there? He isn't. Black Ice is a great story because... It's, it's not about black hockey players? It's the story of Val James, uh huh, who was the first black hockey goon. There it is. Now, can you imagine the racial taunts he heard? Here's a black guy, white man sport, beating the shit out of everyone. No one could beat him. He was unbeatable. When he'd get in a fight, it was always racist, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> So uh, he was a him Willie O'Ree and paved the way for the black hockey players of today. I'm 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 getting knowledge here. Well, it's useless. That might knowledge. be a book I look into. I mean, uh, it's an interesting story. You know, you know, I just read a book on Little Richard. Do so you think here's a gay black dude growing up in the South in the fifties? What was that like? I can't I I can't imagine. Uh, I bet it was tricky. Well, I mean, it just uh, he had to be flamboyant as a self-defense mechanism. There it is. So I like reading weird biographies, you know. Knowledge. You just got to accumulate. Helps generate uh, joke ideas in my head. What, whatever gets you through it, Earl, man. We, we all have our kinks. We're getting the great band, the kinks. There it is. I mean, I'm reading a book right now about the drummer from John Cougar Mellencamp. Yeah? Just about the struggle he faced. Now, how, I wonder how many people have fallen asleep in this section of our podcast. Not you, many. You, you think they're still in it? I have a very loyal fan base. How many people listen to these? Uh, each week, I get about 1,000 downloads. Now, That's nice. So there's 1,000 people that uh, I'm reaching out to right now? Absolutely. Nice. I like that. And I don't mean that in a cocky way because Rogan probably literally gets a thousand downloads in two hours. There it is. So uh, I got a long way to go. Hey, man, but you're doing the right thing. You're, you're putting out uh, love and compassion. You cultivate kindness. You're a good man. I try. It's tough lately. 
there's been a couple things uh, I can't really divulge uh, on air uh, that make it tough for me to be a good man. Really? Yeah, absolutely. But don't can't you look at those as the test that uh, shows you where you are on your path? You have to be grateful for everything, all people. That's the trick. It's tough for me to believe that right now. I know. I'm a very uh, loyal person. And uh, when I, uh, I'm talking about the male race. I'm not talking about any female. But certain males in the comedy community have been a little shady behind my back. And is this something you have found out? Yes, recently. And uh, just people I had helped. But what does that mean, shady? They're, They're doing things that you think are holding you back? Um, uh, just, uh, personal situations that, uh, you know, I believe in a guy code. Uh huh. I don't know about where you, uh, you know, like I recently had a, um, there was a roast battle, uh, where, uh, a former couple were going at it. A former couple. Former okay. Couple. And, uh, the, which is popular in roast battle to have people who've dated go against each other okay they set that up that makes sense that that will sell tickets in it it was uh, and the the girl said hey will you make out with me you know i sit at the haters table if i'm uh-huh. not roasting uh right before our battle i want to throw this dude off okay and i said no i won't because i know he still likes you and i just as much as i know it would get the room going uh, I just, I'm not about that. I, what, what, was this couple still dating? Um, no, but I, I know they still like each other. Okay. Uh, but she wanted to win so bad. She was willing to do anything to mess with his head. And uh, I have really no allegiance to either one of them. Okay. But, uh, I believe in a guy code. Okay. So I was like, no, I know he still likes you. I don't want to do it. Uh, you know, so there's other people who don't share in that philosophy. Nice. So, I mean, do you believe, I mean, I know I wanted to have you on here to talk about comedy and the business, but you, you're uh, a man of uh, life. You've experienced a lot of life. You, you know what the guy, do you, do you believe in a guy code? Like if you had a girlfriend, you have a lady friend, right? I do. I, I'm actually, uh, I'm getting married February 12th. Oh, well, that's breaking news. Is it? I what? think most people are aware that I'm trying to accept love. Well, that's awesome. I'm 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 going to uh, I'm I'm going to get married February twelfth to a a girl. Why? Kevin Nealon will be the will perform the ceremony, and then I will uh, I will try and create life. I will try and be a father. Oh wow! I will try and be a good husband. This is a new chapter. I'm trying. I know. I'm. I'm just, yeah. I mean, not. not I want to. Uh, could be because you were always, uh, you know, uh, a ladies' man from the standpoint of your. Yes, I, I do like ladies. I do like uh, the hunt. I'm a predator at heart, so uh, it's good. It's good to try and accept love. It's tricky. It's difficult. I'm a runner at heart, but. Now, how do you know this girl's the girl? I mean, it must, something must have been, she's it. Oh, no. I, I don't think there's there's that. I think eventually you realize that somebody loves you. They care for you. They, they have your back. Uh, she's beautiful, smart, has a job, young. 
almost half my age. I've so, gone so, through that. So it would be good. I think it's it's good for me to uh, accept it. But I, f- for me, there's never a, this is the one. I think I think if there's too much love involved, I think it's dangerous. I think it can't. I think there has to be just some uh, some realization that okay, this is probably a smart move in life. But when I say there was a moment when you realize this is the one, I mean, like, there's, you know, you're a very popular comic. Uh, you know, certainly uh, comics, uh, when they do well on stage, there's a rock star persona about them. Uh, the opportunities for... Uh, it's always there, but at some point you realize how many one-night stands do you need? How many conquests? I think it's it's time for me to to try and make a human being, and this 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 girl's good stock. Where did you meet her? Uh, I met her at Bristol Farms, uh, on Sunset in Fairfax. Been there. Valentine's Day, two thousand and ten. Oh wow! It, so you've been with her a while. I've been with her eventually. You're with someone a long time, and women certainly want the marriage. So you you just you just give it to them, I guess. She lets me look at it as a party, so that I don't freak out too much. Right. But it took a long time for me to to say okay. And what is the age difference? Well, she's thirty. Okay. I think I'm about 47. I mean, I just went through a 27-year uh, age difference. Yeah, that's a long, that's that's a big gap. But it was great, though. Like, it, I never looked at my circumstance. Like, this girl was not uh, 21. She was, like, mature beyond. Her. Hey, this, this girl's great. It's, it's, it's worth a shot. I'm going in. I'm diving in. I bet you are. It'll be a fun... It'll, I live with her. Is this the first girl you've ever lived with? I think it is. But but like you, I was, I was in the same place for 16 years. An apartment. By I, Runyon Canyon, right? By Runyon Canyon. So I and, do my uh, research. And it was tough to leave, but it was time. I realized that I probably would have... If I did, if I if I didn't marry this girl and move into Laurel Canyon, I would have stayed in this apartment and died there. So I've moved into a, I've moved up. And what does she do? Uh, she- She's a CPA. It was pretty exciting, and I'll tell you this because uh, you know her father was dying a couple of years ago. And she really wanted me to to get his blessing. Right. So I asked him for her hand in marriage. And one of the last things he said was, far fucking out. Oh, that's great. So I think I have to marry her. When, when you ask the dad and he gives you the blessing, you you, you should follow through with the man's dying 
right, right. dying brother. He died the next day, and I helped walk him out. You know, I talked him through it. It was a very sweet exit. Right. And uh, and then I helped get him down the driveway. It was uh, they live at the top of a very steep driveway up in Laurel Canyon. Right. But it was me and her mother and her and a hospice. And it was funny because after after he died, they wanted, you know, Jaron asked if I had $50 to tip the hospice. Right. And I'm like, no, man, I, I'm not tipping this hospice. I mean, he died. I don't think you're supposed to tip the hospice. But I eventually gave, I said, okay, so we tipped the hospice 50 bucks. But then these two guys came to take the body down the driveway. And these guys were old. They were older than her father. He had, he was 67. Right. And uh, these guys were old. And I had to help them carry the body down to this white van. I've been there. It's no fun. And, uh, you know, the, they couldn't they couldn't even lift the body into the, the van, so I helped them. And the gurney almost started to roll down the driveway. <laughs> and I grabbed it, and then I put it, I helped them put it in the van. And then they couldn't back the van down. So they said, could you, I said, I'll back it down. So I got in the van. And I looked in the back, and there was another body. Oh, They had double dipped. So I felt like Dexter. Right, right. So then I backed this van down the driveway with Jaron's father and this other guy. It was a Jewish holiday, and a lot of people were dying on this on this particular day. It's been tax day. And then at the bottom of the driveway, I, I gave them the van, and one of them kind of was waiting for a tip. And I said, hey, man, I... I did your job. I helped you carry the body down. I drove the van down. I'm not tipping you. And I was like, I gave the hospice 50 bucks. If if you really need a tip, you can go get, she'll break you off a piece of that. <laughs> and I said, but walk up the driveway. Don't, don't take the van back up there. But I think, you know, th that came into play because, you know, that's probably where I'll, I'll end up dying. You know, I took her dad down the driveway. One day someone will take me down the driveway. It's a beautiful big house with nature. Well, I guess eventually we'll all go down that driveway. Yeah, but you, sometimes you have to pick where you want to die. And I didn't want to die in an apartment right. at Runyon Canyon. Well, I mean, I haven't thought about it yet. I don't know where I want to die. I, I, wherever I go, I mean, I, I could go out right now on this couch and it'd be a smooth exit. Like but, I, I could go right now and I'd, I'd be okay with it if this was my last breath, because I live my life in a way that I'm okay with death. Well, I mean, selfishly, that would be good for the numbers for the yeah, episode. That would be okay. I mean, uh, I had the uh, wrestler Rowdy Roddy Piper on the podcast and like a week later he passed and i well, love good him. man well hopefully f for your numbers oh they uh, went through the roof yeah well hopefully this 
if this is the last moment, then uh, I enjoyed our time here. Well, there is a hospice two down. There's an old folks home that's basically a hospice. Well, that's where they go. Well, uh, you know, I'll take care of the arrangements. Nice. Uh, my parents are gone, so. Mine too. Nice. Smooth exit for yours? It, it's actually kind of romantic. They died two months apart. Nice. And I prefer it that way because they both loved each other. So they were, uh, you know, it was just meant to be that way. How about your parents? Were they? Uh, they had a good, I, I have to tell you, uh, I'm kind of mirroring my dad's experience because uh, my dad married like my mom. And then moved in with her and her mother. Oh, wow. And right now, you know, Jaron, I'm, I'm, I'm living right now with Jaron and her mom. Her mom's up there also right now. She'll move out, but right now she's up there. It's a big house. So I'm doing exactly what my dad did. It is funny how we mimic our parents. And uh, I used to not want to do that. I was like, man, I don't want to do what my dad did. But then I realized, shit, man, my dad was great. He raised five kids. He, he married my mom, moved in, helped take care of my mom's mom. Right. And I was like, shit, man, I'm kind of, I'm okay with that. Like, even if Jaron's mom stays there, I don't give a shit. She can be a, you know, she can take care of the kid. Now, how do you make it uh, work? You know, I've only dated comics for the most part because it's all I'm around. How does a CPA and a late night comic? I mean, how do you make it work? Like it's tonight, e- it's easy, man. It's it's perfect. She's a numbers girl. She works all day, and then at, at the end of the day, she wants to just watch Real Housewives, and I do my shit. I go do my comedy. She lives up in Laurel Canyon. It's five minutes. It's easy breezy. What do you mean? Like tonight, she's at work right now, I'm assuming. I would I would hope so. One of us needs to be working. <laughs> and you have three shows tonight. Yeah. So you, you'll get home probably maybe around midnight, one o'clock. Yeah. Would you say that's the key to a successful relationship that you don't see each other that much? Without question. The key to any of that is you have to have your own, your own routine. You got to have your own space. But uh, she lets me, she, as long as I'm coming back, she's, she's good with it. Right. She's always put no pressure on me. She's never said no. She's really easy breezy. But I, I still fight it. I shouldn't, but there's still some fight. But I will say... Uh, when you surrender to love or you surrender to the moment, things get easier. I've tried. The moment I finally moved in, the minute I finally just said, all right, because cause I've been with her for six years, I think, maybe more. But I always had two nights a week at my apartment. Right. So it's like I I never really... I always felt that I was still just me. And now that I've moved in, I'm okay with it up there. I used to see homeless shitting every day in my alley. And now I see deer. Right, shitting. Yeah, but, you know, there's an acre up there that they have. It's really a lot of land. It's nature. 
Oh, Lord. I always say I'm getting married for land, that I'm old-fashioned. Right. You're a wheel baron. Yeah, it's good. Now, or, or I'm getting married for supplies and shelter. Well, but I'm just trying to love Earl, man. I, I'm a special... I'm just trying. This is a Kirk Fox I never thought I'd see. I mean, I'm used to the confident... Oh, I'm, I'm still confident. I'm confident in the fact that I'm aware of my limitations. What I'm are a, your limitations? Well, I want to be alone. Uh, control issues. I want to be in control. I don't want to have to be anywhere. You know, these are, these are things I'm working on. I didn't want to be here. Oh, really? Of course not. But this is good for me to be here. I like you. We, we talk on Facebook. We chat. Well, you always give me a great advice. Well, that's, that's kind of what I like to do. If I can nudge someone in the right direction, I feel better. And uh, as, as a Buddhist in training, I'm just trying to always be compassionate. I try, but it's tough in comedy, man. Yeah, but here's your problem. Don't put a label on comedy. It's just life. But I just, Comedy's just what you do, but as a man, it's just, it's tricky being a man. Just being a human being, but comedy, law, baseball, sport, it's all the same shit. Everything that anyone does... We all have our obstacles, whether you're doing comedy or whether you're pushing papers or selling real estate, you're all going to have to deal with people and who you are. The fact that you get on stage with a microphone and you're trying to connect with a hundred people, it's the same as one person at an office in Iowa that's trying to connect with the boss or someone who took his donut. You have to quit thinking about the comedy world. That's all I'm in. No, think of the world. It's just the world. Comedy's just what you're doing for a living. Well, I just believe everyone should uh, treat everyone the same. Man. That's fine, but what I'm saying is that's everywhere. Non-comedy. There you go again. There's there's shit there's backstab in every business. You don't think every corporation has someone trying to fuck someone's girl? But there doesn't have to be. We know that. That's the point of the world we're in. That that's the point I'm just making is that you just try and be a good man in general. I try, bro. Okay. It ain't easy. Of course it's not easy, but that's the battle. Do you meditate? Do you breathe? Do you help the less fortunate? I do. I do all that. Okay, so you're you're doing the best you can. And then there will be obstacles and there'll be setbacks, but you you can't be so hard on yourself. No. That's 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 what you have to deal with is the fact that you're beating yourself up instead of uh laughing at yourself, laughing at this. Sometimes there's not a lot of humor in it. Find the humor. <laughs> There really is, if you if you get it. As soon as you can laugh at it, then it's no longer going to hold you back. You're right. I can't argue with you. Well, there's no reason. To, you can, it's silly to. They're on their journey. You're on yours. And uh, you're letting their shit fuck with you. You can't. 
That's well, their problem. It's not yours. I feel like Tony Robbins is on the couch right now. I'm just a, a human being who might be a little more evolved in this arena. Because you've been there, done that. I just practice more. I practice a little more than you. I meditate every day. I do Tonglin meditation, which is where you breathe in the sadness of the world. <sighs> then you give uh, compassion, white light. You can start with one person who's having a bad day. You breathe in their suffering. You try and make it better. And then you give that to everybody. Well, I'm going to do my best to be a, a better person. But uh, especially at the comedy store, it's a real jungle up there. There you go. It's just work. That's where you work. It's just think of it uh, as a corporation. You could be going to Domino's Pizza and people are still dealing with the same shit. That could be an option. Then, then, then give it a shot. I try and reinvent myself every 10 years. Because I remember 10 years ago, you had longer hair. You know, you had the, uh, like the slight hippie vibe. Hey, when I, when I started stand-up, I started late. When did you start? November 10th, 2002. I'm in it for, what, 14 years? Most of my peers are, they've been in it 30 years, you know? Guys that are our age, right. they, they've been doing it 20 years. It's my one regret. 30 years. I mean, so that's, so you can't ever compare yourself to others because they're, they've been doing it longer, more experience. It's just, we are where we are at. Do you regret not starting earlier? I have no regrets because everything has led to this moment. Hey man, I was just chilling. I was playing tennis and teaching tennis and chasing girls. I didn't have a thought. I I had I had not a thought about anything till I was, you know, thirty five years old. I mean, I didn't care about anything but me. I'd been selfish my whole life. So the fact that I'm trying to be more giving and care about others and try and love someone and hopefully make a kid. Right. That's just what I want to be doing now because I'd never done it. So this is why I'm, this is why I am where I'm at. I'm just trying to be different. And with the stand up, I had long hair. It was a, it was a real character. It wasn't who I was. This is who I am. Right. But at the time, you get on stage, what's up? Hey, hey, man. You know, that was clearly who I was hiding behind. Right. I, and it was very successful. I mean, I came out of the gate. I had a lot of successes real quick. What do you attribute that to? Just your natural talent? Well, I was just... Fearless. You had so much confidence, but it was just, I was confident in that character. You know, the Aspen Comedy Festival, to win that with my buddy Shane Moss, they, they gave it to us both. But that was, you know, it was just good writing. I was always a good writer. 
but I was always selling it with this dumb guy character. Right. And I wasn't really a dumb guy. I mean, after I won that Aspen thing, you know, everything changed. And that's, I don't think people, uh, you know, because that's not been around for a while. Uh, now you just have pretty much Montreal Comedy Festival, but the Aspen Comedy Festival. It was like big HBO. and Huge. And because of that, I, I got a big manager and everything changed after that. I went to Edinburgh, Mark Marin and I shared a room and I was still, I was still a rookie. I was still trying to find my footing. I mean, I went to Edinburgh with Mark and we shared an hour and he was so good. He was just, he was just real talking about what he felt, what he was going through. And that's when I really started realizing that, oh, fuck, I don't like, I don't like what I'm doing on stage. These are really just jokes. And Sarah Silverman told me once, she's like, you know, it's okay to tell a joke as long as you know it's a joke. Right. But I wasn't doing that. I was, all these jokes I was doing, I was pretending that they were real. Right. So then it was becoming a character, you know. Funny Almost thing so. happened today. No, it didn't. You know, it was all bullshit. Right. And uh, that's when I started kind of rethinking everything. That was five years in. And Marin had been doing comedy at that point, what, 15? Maybe 20 years. I don't know. Mark was just being honest on stage. He would do... I would do a half hour up front. No laughs. Edinburgh was awful. <laughs> and then and then he would go on and really connect and be funny. They loved him. They they didn't really understand me, and that's understandable because I wasn't being me. Right. If I had just gone on stage and just talked about whatever was going on in my life. I mean, I was always funnier off stage than on. But it was about five years in where I started regrouping. My mom died when I was in Edinburgh while I was there. Did you, I mean, did you figure it might happen while you were? Was it a no, kind of it was sudden. It was sudden. She had a heart attack. But I, I still did five more shows. And uh, it was good. You know, Mark Mark was good, helped me through it. But it was just life. And then I went from there and I did my half hour. But everything was kind of coming to a head there of, fuck, I got to just, I'm not being who I would like to be. Like, I feel a lot better on stage now than I did then. You know, it was tricky. Now... What was your first television uh, appearance, uh, like doing stand-up? Uh, live at Gotham. You got nervous knee syndrome? Oh, I'm always, uh, yeah. Nice. I mean, just all, I always move. Nice. I'm taking it in. Well, I've, I, you know, when I was a kid, I, uh, you know, I grew up in Bel Air and uh, we had a black garbage man and, I, you know, there weren't a lot. You got of, nervous knee syndrome from him? I, I think I did. That'll do it. Well, but 
Bel Air in the seventies, there were no black people other than Kareem and OJ. So was that your neighbors? Yeah, I like it. OJ was. I taught cool. a lot of tennis in Bel Air. Up at the uh, country club? No, just houses. When so. I came to town, I was I was the tennis pro of the rich and famous. Now, have you ever had a uh, match with uh, or played with Michael Costa? We've hit. We played doubles the other day with uh, Doctor Phil. Oh, really? Michael's good. Oh, he's a good man. He's great. Um, now he's young, man. I'm sure he would take me apart. But you, you might be the more wily veteran. I don't know. He's got some injuries. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you've already scouted him. <laughs> no, he's good. Now I have yet to do stand up on television. I mean, uh, roast. I did roast battle, but that you know that's a TV's uh, TV's a tricky beast. Uh, I will say that uh, live at Gotham was was awesome. That was my first time on stage. I was sure excited to be there. And what was that? Six minutes? Maybe eight. But Bill Burr was the host, and that was fun. That's where I met Bill. We went and had a Guinness afterwards, and we talked about tennis. Anyone? He liked that movie. I never that, saw it. That was a movie that Donald Logan and I were in. That oh, Bill, I love him. Donald and I wrote it, and really, yeah, and Donald directed it with Jason Isaacs and Paul Rudd, Stephen Dorff. But Bill Burr liked that movie. I think. I think he did. I think that's what we talked about. Well, I like uh, Mr. Logue from his. Uh Appearance and has a shady uh, dude in uh, Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, yeah, awesome. but he was also the Dow of Steve. He won Sundance, and he was the cab driver on MTV. Grounded for life. Donald's the best. He's my best pal. Oh, he's he's, awesome. he's going to be my best man at the. Oh wow! So that'll be nice at the party. I look at it as a party. Is there going to be a bachelor party? My life has been a bachelor party. I don't need another one. Because I can imagine uh, with all the friends you know, it could be a good one. My life has been a a bachelor party. Now let's get back to live at Gotham. How nervous were you before? I mean, cause hey, I that was that was early on. That was when I was still just, hey man, I was just loving it. Because it wasn't. I the point I was making was it wasn't until. <sighs> You know, around Edinburgh, the Comedy Central thing, it, it was all starting to come to a head where I got to I got to regroup and I was OK with it. But it was it was a it was it was a rough year for me doing stand up when I right around there. But then I did the Tonight Show and I probably had the best set of my life on the Tonight Show. And that's one of the, like, it's on, like, I, I actually have a website, kirkfox.com. And uh, there's a video there where it's my Tonight Show set. And for some reason, everything lined up. It was just perfect. Brian Williams was there. and Just everything came to a head. And that's the Tonight Show, man. You know, I got the couch sat down we laughed and i was feeling good but it was kind of after that where he he brought me back like a month later to do another set 
to be his final comic. Oh, wow. And by then, I was starting to... This is Jay Leno. Yeah. By then, I was starting to be like, oh, fuck. Nothing, nothing was feeling comfortable. Nothing was feeling comfortable. There was actually... It was all about around that time where I had a real crumble at the comedy store. What do you mean? Where the one night that just kind of broke my back where the room just started spinning and I I got off stage in that original room three minutes in instead of 15. I just, my whole world crumbled right there. And it took about a year to recover from that where uh, I hear my stomach. That was powerful. That was a powerful stomach. Uh, I think it must have been 2007. I mean, it was, I don't know, or 2008. It was, it was before I did The Tonight Show, but I was at the, I'll tell you how it started. Do we have a minute? Are we good? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, let me check the time, you know. If I, not, we're good. We can always do it another day. No, no. I want to, uh, why don't we uh, maybe uh, not end, but like. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it another time. No, 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 no. Let's get this in. Okay. I'll quickly tell you. No, no. Don't quickly. Oh, I like, quick is important. We it's got passion. Time. It's enth enthusiasm. I mean, I've done my research with podcasts. We're a little over an hour right now, and I find that, at least with my fan base, who might not have all their brain cells... Well, uh, good. I, I, I will tell you about the night that... Uh, but take your time. Well, hey, man, I don't need you telling me how to speak. Uh, well, take your time if you'd like. Exactly. Because <laughs> I have a hard time believing... Like, I see you as... Uh, and this, I'm not trying to kiss your ass, or I'm just being honest. Like... Uh, I see you as incredibly confident. Well, I, eight, I can't imagine you crumbling. Well, eight years ago, I had a, a I had a rough night, man. <laughs> I think it's the only one, but we've all we all have our our Waterloo. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but you learn from it. But the night started where I was doing a, a showcase at uh, at the Improv for for Letterman. And whatever I was going through, man, I just didn't like my jokes. They just were all bullshit. They just weren't real. And I was having trouble selling them because they were just all make-believe. Right. And, and it's okay. Now I realize that a lot of people are telling jokes that aren't real that someone else wrote, but they just sell them because they know who they are. So there's no problem with that. There's a lot of great comedians who have some help. But I was at the the improv and I was going to showcase. And uh, I'm trying to remember the... Fuck, maybe I'll say... It was, it was after... Uh, Richards had had his crumble. Michael Richards at yeah. the Laugh Factory. Yeah, so it was clearly 07, I think, was the year. Which some say might have been his best set. Maybe. Who knows? I wasn't there. But, uh, so at the improv, man, I just wasn't feeling it, man. It was, a, it was something was off. 
And I felt like, oh, fuck, this is not good. I just don't want to go on stage. And at that moment, Skippy Simon came up to me and he just said, hey, man, I love that character you're doing. You know, he was being positive. You know, he liked me and I like Skippy. He's awesome. But he said, you know, I love that character you're doing on stage. And that hit my head. It hit just like, fuck, I don't want to be a character. Right. I just want to be me. Who am I? Fuck. So now I have that, and I've just felt like, oh, fuck. So I followed uh, Kyle Dunnigan, and he had done some stuff with the microphone and some sound. There was kind of a sound box up there. And I went up there, and I started some jokes, and I just couldn't, I just couldn't even finish the jokes. I just started doing crowd work. Right. I just hated my jokes. Did my five minutes, and then... The guy, uh, Eddie Brill. Yeah, Eddie's like, "Hey, man, that's great, but you just didn't do any jokes." I'm like, "Yeah, I know. Sorry, you know, fucking sorry." <laughs> He's like, "You can't do that." I'm like, "Okay, man." So then I called Tommy, and because uh, I had a spot that night at the store, I was like, "Hey, Tommy, man, is there a spot? Can I? I'm ready." He's like, "Hey, man, if you get up here right now, you can go on." It was like nine. 9.30 or something. I had like an 11.30 spot. Right. I had later spots then. And uh, so I got up there. I went up there real fast. I didn't stop to eat. I usually like to eat. I kind of need food in me. A little hypoglycemic. I like to eat. So uh, I got up there and by the time I got there, everyone had showed up. All right. So I ended up having to just sit there for an hour and a half watching comics and Tim Allen was also there. I had just auditioned for a movie. I almost had gotten it, but I didn't get it. It came down to me and another guy. So I got to, I said, Hey Tim, nice to see you. You know, it was a perfect storm. Everything was brewing. And, uh, my stomach is loud. Yeah. Your stomach's on point. That's good. That means I got to eat. But, uh, so, fuck, I'm trying to remember exactly. Oh, sorry. So then uh, Sebastian went up before me. Right. And just killed, was so great, was so present. I just loved his jokes. Sebastian was being Sebastian. He was talking about real shit. And I was watching him just getting more angry at myself. Like, fuck, those are... That's what I should be talking about. Who's Kirk Fox? Who's Kirk Fox? And it was just brewing. You know, you just feel the anxiety. You just feel like, oh, fuck, you know, the room was packed. And uh, I just love Sebastian. I was like, man, those are real jokes. I saw who he was. He's amazing. And then, uh, and this was in 07. So this is almost 10 years ago. Right? Right. Almost yeah. nine years ago this happened, but I still think about it. And it's still like, as I talk about it, it's like, oh, fuck. You know, I get a little, I feel it, which means how important it was. Oh, absolutely. So, and then uh, Steve Byrne went up before me and he had been at the showcase also. And he was just kind of, he wasn't in a good mood and he was kind of attacking that audience. Oh, I gotcha. And then it was my turn. And I went up there. And right when I went up there, 
the room just something happened. I was like, oh, good, man. I like it in here. It's quiet. I like that. And it got really quiet, like more quiet than ever, you know? And then there was, I started my joke and some guy in the front row said, ha, ha, ha. Mocking you. Whatever he, you know, whether he, I think I eventually found out that he probably wasn't, that that was just kind of ha ha. You know, it was just maybe how he laughed. But then he threw me and I kind of started having some dialogue with him. And then I started another joke and I heard ha ha ha. And I started just, there was two friends with him and, Eventually, I th- I threw them out. Right. Like, quick. Like, instead of dealing with them and making it funny, I just threw them out. Tommy, get these guys out of here. Like, clearly my brain was off. Right. So they threw these guys out. And as two of the guys were black, and as they were leaving, they, they just were throwing the N-word at me loud, calling me racist. You sure that wasn't Tommy? No. Nah, no, nah, this was all... This was all me. So then I went back up on stage and I tried to start again. And then someone in the back said, you're projecting. Just someone yelled that. Right. And it just, he was right. You know, the, the, the heckle was dead on. <laughs> and then I just, I couldn't speak, man. My brain it shut down. The whole room started spinning. And I had a full-blown panic attack, anxiety, whatever, something I'd never had before. And I called Tommy, who's next? I got to get out of here. And Tommy was like, what? I'm like, I got I to go. You know, I was just, I was about to pass out. Right. And he went and found Steve Renazizi, and Steve came up there. And I left the stage. And all that had taken place in three minutes. Wow. All of that in three minutes. So from that moment on for the next year, I I was having a lot of trouble. Just with everything. Who am I? What am I doing? You know, it was my midlife crisis. It was my 10 years of comedy, but I was having it at, at five years. Right. And I was having it at the same time that I was having my midlife crisis as a man. And I'm glad it happened because you learn from it. I needed it clearly because it's okay to, to start asking yourself questions of who are we? What are we doing? I couldn't have this without that, but it was, uh, it was my, it was my, uh, Waterloo. that was my Waterloo, man. It was a big crumble because up until then I'd never, failed at anything my whole life had been a cakewalk anything I did I always won girls sports I'd never I'd never done any heavy lifting so that was 30 you know I was almost 40 probably right 30 you know that's that's a pretty to go that long without ever failing it's a pretty good deal. I needed one. So I look back now and fuck, I needed that because it, it started, it changed everything. It made me grow up. 
made me start facing life. What do I want? How do I want to? It's not how I want to be remembered, but I think people need to ask themselves, how do they want to be known? Right. So that's where I'm at. And it, it started me on this new path, enlightenment, Buddhism. You just try and find a way to work through the anxiety and breathing helped. And that's where I'm at. Being able to take a deep breath. Do you just, take one right before you hit the stage? I always have a moment beforehand, but I, I take one when I'm on the stage. I'm okay now of explaining what I'm going to try and do. As long as I'm being honest and present, you can't fail. You can't fuck with the truth. And in that moment, if I go on stage and no one laughs, it's okay if I'm being honest. That's why when when you said, how do you deal with a, a room that's not loving you? It's just... Just love them. Do you embrace them? Embrace that moment. <sighs> Breathe in the awkwardness. Breathe in wherever you're at. And then just try your jokes. And if some of them are jokes, it's okay. Because you know they're jokes. It just feels good where I'm at right now. This moment. Right. Like I enjoy, I've enjoyed this podcast. Well, I hope to, uh, that's the goal. I want. Uh... Oh, I've enjoyed it because I felt present, even a few awkward moments. When I was tweeting out your picture, sorry yeah, about that. Yeah, but that's okay. But but that's what I'm dealing with. What? I got through it. Your restless leg syndrome. Yeah, I definitely have that. But I got through it. I'm just I'm a uh, full of anxiety. Of course you are, and and I feel that. That's why, that's why I think uh, breathing's important. That's why I work out so much. Yeah, to, to you got to sweat it out. If I don't do sports, I do sports every day: Pilates, golf, tennis. These are things that help me if work, I, work through it. If I didn't work out, I I probably would have killed myself years ago. Hey, we we all think about it. Yeah, I'm I'm too much of a pussy to do it, but yeah, it probably hurts. Well, if you do it right, it shouldn't. But I'm not advocating. Shit, man. Uh, it's tough to do it right. I'm not advocating. There's a lot suicide. of there's a lot of ways to uh, fail a suicide attempt. There's more suicide attempts than successes. Well, that would be my biggest fear: is if I try to shoot myself yeah. in the head, I miss. Then you're just paralyzed. Right. You have to talk about it. Because there was a guy up at the comedy store who tried to kill himself. He shot his jaw off instead. Really. I didn't know. Uh, he wasn't a comic. He was a comedy fan. And so now uh, we gave him the nickname No Face because nice. he had no face. But he was, you know. I got to pee. That means we're done. No, no. Hold on. Oh, sorry. You got to pee. So we're going to wrap up by uh, www.kirkfox.com. Well, no. Don't worry about the website unless you want to see that Leno set. But I want people to see that. Okay. And on Twitter, you're at Kirk Fox. At Kirk Fox. I like Twitter. Are you on Instagram? I think I am, but Kirk Fox. That's who I am. Okay, at so Kirk Fox. Just Kirk, let me tell you this right now. Kirk's one of the good ones in uh, comedy. Uh, I've always looked up to him. Uh, about He had the best set I've ever seen anyone have before a roast battle. If, if you know 
all about roast battle. People want to see the fucking blood sport. And it's very hard to do stand up before that show. But in La Jolla. Oh, that was a good night. Uh, you know, Kirk, uh, it was very impressive. And uh, he, I'm a huge fan of yours. Thank you, Earl. I like you as well. I'm doing my best. We all are, man. Uh, try and have a Waterloo, everyone. I did. But we'll get into that. This is, we didn't even approach the surface. I know. We'll do it again. Whenever you want, Kirk Fox, you have an open invitation. Guys. After my marriage, we'll talk about it. We'll see how I'm doing. Absolutely. Uh, Inappropriate Earl, guys. SoundCloud and iTunes. Leave a review on iTunes. Follow Kirk Fox. He's everywhere. At Kirk Fox. K-I-R-K-F-O-X. And uh, follow me, Twitter, Instagram. At Earl Skakel. E-A-R-L-S-K-A-K-E-L. And we will see you next week with an all-new podcast.